filibuster is supported through Patreon by listeners like you. Check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster. We also get support from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia. They handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. It's a new day, it's a new life for me. And I'm feeling. And a pretty nice anniversary. He's busy. How long have you been married? Six years. Congratulations. In a day now, or in a couple days, as of now. Compilations. Thanks. <laughs> uh, spent, spent our anniversary at the i can't call it the old soccer stadium at the at the new soccer stadium uh my wife wait, wait. is incredible and you spent the entire day at rfk stadium why were you there no we didn't i spent the morning taking our daughter our four-year-old to a birthday party out in virginia um after Ooh. stopping to buy a gift on capitol hill and then we had some extra time before we like i knew how long it would take to get there um thanks gps and realized we had a good 20 minutes to kill. So I took a detour and, and drove around Talon's new house to get my daughter excited for it and get her comfortable with kind of the area. Learned that once you turn south on 2nd Street at, at the north end of the stadium, you are not turning back around until you get to the end of 2nd Street. <laughs> yep. uh-huh. uh, until you get to the construction site on the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can go around the perimeter of the peninsula and come back up the the east side along the the anacostia what Um, if you uh had changed your car into a duck boat would that have helped more uh probably not because there was uh, a brick wall on the right side for fort mcnair and every street was blocked off and there was not water access until you got past where i turned Uh, so i don't think the duck boat would have helped okay but went to the birthday party came back tried to get the kids to nap um and then Left for the stadium a little bit early, went to walked around, uh, got our got our free clear security theater props, uh, and and went to uh, sorry MLS mandated security theater props. Went to the field house, which was a lot of fun and also a hot mess. That was kind of a theme of the night, and then made our way into the stadium, walked around. It was gorgeous, um, and we'll have more thoughts on that as the show goes along, but. Happy anniversary to my my wonderful wife who spent it at the soccer stadium with me. Oh, um, because she's wonderful. Yeah. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is filibuster, the uh, Adam's anniversary and Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam. Uh, we are. I'm here with Ben and Jason. We're all from BlackAndRedUnited.com. Uh, I say here with, in the the metaphorical sense, because. We are in three very different parts of the DMV right now, brought together by the magic. Yeah. We have the district, Maryland and Virginia. Like we always Uh, are. And we're brought together through the magic of internet telephony. Uh, Tonight, we are talking about Buzzard Point. We're talking about the new stadium. We're talking about the game, which was a good game. Um, Not a perfect game, but a good game. And uh, we're talking about all that and more before we do anything, though. Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm finishing off the last of a bottle of 
Underwood Pinot Noir, um, which I picked up a couple of weeks ago. I went to buy one bottle of wine, and when they were out, uh, I decided to take the money that I was going to spend on one bottle and divide it in two and buy two lesser bottles of wine. And this is the second of those bottles of lesser, but still pretty decent wine. Nice. Ben Bromley. Uh, so uh, we got home from the beach uh, yesterday, and I spent all of today uh, taking a vacation from my vacation before I had to go back before I go back to work uh, tomorrow or today, as you listen to this. And round about four uh, thirty p.m., I started uh, tasting all of the food that we had left over, uh, all of the condiments, and realized that our guacamole was bad, and that our onions were bad, and that our tomato was bad. And so I made a run out to uh, the local farm stand that is luckily a half a mile from my house and was able to replenish all of our uh, uh, foodstuffs so that we could have delicious fish tacos. And I got a uh, craft root beer from the uh, farm stand and I've mixed that with a little bit of bourbon. It's a it's just called Dad's Root Beer. It's not not your father's root beer because that's alcoholic. This is just regular Wait, dad's root beer with like dad's the, old fashioned root beer with the blue label. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I grew up on that. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah. That and uh dog and suds. Oh, I, uh, I grew up on Stewart's, which is okay. another Midwestern brand, but th- this is not a Midwestern brand as far as I can tell. But well, yeah, it was, I, we had it in Indiana. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this was dad's root beer uh, with the blue label, like Adam said, and I poured a little bit of bourbon and it. it's really good root beer. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, we used to get two liters of that when we would order pizza on Sunday nights when I was growing up. That oh, was cool. That was our tradition, and uh, yeah, it, I remember it fondly. I don't yeah. really drink sweet beverages anymore, but I, I might make an exception for you know some nostalgia root beer, especially if you spike it. That's a you know, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. I, I, I'm drinking a classic DC drink, the classic DC drink, a gin ricky. Uh, made with uh, the Spanish uh, gin that my buddy loaned me. I'm drinking probably more of his bottle than I should. And he's listening to this. So uh, why was, sorry, why was it a green hat? Because I'm out of green hat and I haven't had a chance to, to go buy more on this, the day of our independence. I have a question. How do you borrow some gin? <laughs> he gave me a bottle and I, I assume I'm going to drink a reasonable amount of it, and then return the bottle to him. He loaned me the bottle, uh, okay. and I want the, the to physical glass bottle. A, yeah. Okay. He loaned it to me along with his Alex Ovechkin sweater that I could wear for the the clinching game of the. Are you going to consume that uh, as well? I am not going to consume or, that. Only a portion of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will return a reasonable amount of the sweater to my friend. All right. Should we talk buzzer point? Let's talk buzzer point. Uh, It's a new era for, for DC United. The buzzer point era has officially begun and did it ever begin in a big way. DC United opened their new building Audi field in style three to one over the Vancouver Whitecaps. We're going to talk about the game itself more after the break. Um, Before we do that though, we, we want to, we got to talk about the building, right? We got to talk about what's going on. Uh, just those lovely bones down there. It's guys. I, I walked into this place and number one, it is real. 
it exists. It is tangible. And uh, number two, it's it's so pretty. It's really nice. It's not finished, but it's really nice. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's still kind of uh, hard to wrap your head around um, that it's uh, a real building that has now hosted a soccer game. Um, it's not even a, it will host, which I, I, you know, as of last Thursday was thinking like, okay, this place is going to host a building, a, a game. I can see it. Um, but even now having gone in and watched a game, um, it's still kind of wild. Um, and it's still kind of, I mean, the newness doesn't just extend to the fact that it's not even 100% done. Um, it's newness in all sorts of ways. You know, the old rhythms of going to the stadium are different. The path to where you sit is undoubtedly different for everybody. Um, figuring out where things are, the, the little things like that, like, oh, how did I get to that? Such and such. Um, it's where it's are the pupusas? Right. Um, where, uh, you know, I came back from the uh, press conference and I had to go find the press box and briefly was just sort of standing in the concourse. Like, where did we actually come out? Like, which of these doors is the right one? Um, so, yeah, it's all still very new. Um, going through, you know, walking around before the game. I spent a lot of time walking around outside the press box before the game. Um trying to set up some or trying to clear with our photographer, Caitlin, as to what, uh, what she should look for, where she should, um, prioritize being for a given thing. Um, and just getting to walk around and see a lot of other people. And it seemed like every single person I looked at was just like looking up and around, like Mm -hmm. this is real. Like the whole place is, is extant. Uh, there's a, a seat that I'm going to be in. Um, there's a, a beer stand that I'm going to be going to on a regular basis. There's a, all the next 30 years. Right. Um, and all those little things were still falling into place. And, and, you know, the, the vibe in the building, certainly there was a little bit of a, like, all right, we're new here. What do we do? Um, for, for a lot of fans, um, there were a lot of folks that were there that, I mean, let's be honest. There were a lot of people that were there for their first or second DC game ever. Um, Mm -hmm. you probably had some folks in the building that had been there for Beckham and were here for Rooney. Um, hopefully they saw enough that they want to keep coming back because you need those fans just as much as you need everybody else. Um, but yeah, uh, it was, it was a fascinating night to look around and, and to see, um, that, you know, the first seed. I mean, the first seeds of how people are going to be in this building are already sown. Um, people are already, building their habits as fans, uh, as individuals. So um, that was kind of interesting to see because everyone's, everyone's still figuring it out. Yeah. There, the differences between fans I thought was interesting. I was sitting next to uh, a guy who'd been there for, you know, since, since 1997 was at RFK. I've been there uh, at RFK since 2007. And then the guys behind me were at their first, ever DC United game. Um, and I, I did the, the obligatory lap around the concourse. I didn't make it upstairs like I had meant to. Um, so I didn't see the, everything the stadium has to offer, but walking around, um, the, the East side, the main, the big concourse where the Pepco easement is looking. I was one of the people looking up and around and saw that there's a, a, 
at the southern end, there's a catwalk that extends. I don't know if it's from a catering kitchen or the elevator or or what, but there's a catwalk that extends across to the the main walk of of that upper concourse. And from below, the right angle, it looked like being in the lower bowl of RFK, looking up at the 300 level catwalks um, to for people to get to their their suites and the the club level there. And I, I was just like, okay, there's a little connection that I can make. Um, and I don't know why, but that, that made it feel a little bit more like home just before the game even started for that. Um, and then just looking around at the stadium, climbing up to our seats, it was really easy to get around inside, which was nice uh, at RFK when I was new. Uh, trying to remember which level I was on was always tough. I would always end up in the wrong place. Because it was so big. Yeah, and I would try to go out an exit on the wrong level and find that I was either 40 feet in the air or underground. I was never where I wanted to be. Uh, It took took a couple of years for me to really figure it out in my head how that stadium worked. Uh, This one, I think, will be a little bit quicker, thankfully. But being inside... The, the steepness of the rake, the verticality of the place is insane. I saw some Vancouver fans saying that someone is going to get injured um, as visiting support because it's too steep, which was hilarious in a way. Uh, it's like, if you're worried about that, then maybe you're not cheering as loud. So welcome. Uh, it was, I mean, there were aspects of the experience. We'll get into those that, that weren't necessarily as well executed or, or uh, what we would have wanted, but the building itself is, is kind of glorious and I love it. And I can't wait to go back in you know, a little over a week from now. Um, but like I said, there were some, there were some flaws um, obviously can before I, the game. Can I, can I talk about my oh, impression? Yes. Do I, do should, I get a viewpoint? You Ben. You, you deferred so much. I was moving on. Ben, you watched the game on TV. I did. From I my uh, sister's baby shower in South Carolina. And then I rewatched uh, the Rooney era uh, just tonight from my couch in Richmond. Um, it looked great. It looked intimate. It looked like the perfect size for soccer. Like, DC United has had uh, over the years, they've wanted to have a very specific size of a soccer field. Uh, We've all complained about the size of the Houston Dynamo stadium for being a postage stamp, for example, or complained about uh, stadiums for being the size of uh, airplane hangars for being giant. But this stadium, this field was the perfect size for DC United. And, I was kind of surprised to see how watered, how wet this, the field was uh, initially, but it ended up being right for this first experience on the stadium. It, it helped slow everything down, helped make everything, helped give DC United uh, a, a good experience into their first uh, uh, 90 minutes in that stadium. And... It was definitely different. It was it, it was weird, and we'll get more into the supporters groups in a bit, but it was weird not seeing the Screaming Eagles and the Bar Brava and the District Ultras on the uh, sideline. It was weird seeing it, it was kind of uh, it was kind of a you, you could see the um, the boxes, the field level suites, and then there was a little bit of a wall. So it, it was it was a little it was, it was different. It was weird, but 
it didn't matter as much to me just because it's a stadium that DC United now has for 30 years, like we've talked about. And it's still under construction and it's still going to evolve. And at the end of the day, it's, it's here. It's ours. Warts and all. Yeah. Um, and there, there were some warts on, on this one. Um, I, I don't know anyone who is really satisfied with concession lines, for instance. Hopefully that's just opening day uh, kinks that can be worked out. Um, Jason, you were you were there, I think, before any of us were. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously on Thursday you could see plenty that needed work and uh, from the, the press box and, and walking around, what did you notice? Um, well, I mean, to give you an idea of how close how closely run this thing was, um, on Thursday, the menu tasting event that the team set up for us, um, the email, the email did not mention the locker room tour we got because they weren't sure they were going to be cleared by the construction crews to give that locker room tour. Um, apparently it happened a matter of a couple of hours before the tasting thing. Um, so, you know, every, everywhere around the stadium, it was like that. Everything was um coming in close uh and so there were you know the most obvious one that everyone's been talking about is the fact that um a piece of railing of some sort uh struck lindsey simpson before i think before the broadcast ben is that right i'm not actually sure when that happened i just know it was before the game yeah Yeah, she she was recording a stand-up before the game okay she was not she was never on the broadcast right um so it's never to air Right. So that's obviously a huge problem. Um, and I know we all wish her the best because, yes. you know, the everyone knows DC United is short uh, handed. And the fact that um, the people that are there are having to cover more than one person's uh, responsibilities. Um, they were working themselves down to the bone and uh, for it to happen right beforehand is pretty cruel. Um, but hopefully it's nothing, uh, nothing too big of a deal. Um, but yeah, you know, you can't have that. Um, I know Pablo Maurer tweeted, um, a photo of duct tape on similar railings, holding them together. So that's not, that's not good. Um, yeah, I think Jason Levian, Jason Levian was on the Kojo Namdi show along with Pablo and, and James Lambert. Um, this is Monday as we record, uh, he said that it was essentially coverings for the railings. It wasn't the substance, but it's still a piece of metal that's yes. falling because it wasn't attached properly. Right. Um, Which you can't have. So, no, um, you can't. That can't, that can't happen. Um, and, you know, the team certainly has to answer for that. I think the city also has to answer for that because ultimately they're the ones issuing a certificate saying you can bring people in here, which means they're supposedly inspecting the place. Um, and if you're inspecting a place and there's metal falling down, then you did a, je- a pretty bad job inspecting. Yep. Um, so that, you know, that stuff is, that's the major stuff. Um, there were some minor, um, issues. I know a lot of people had trouble getting online to use their, um, uh, paperless ticketing process, um, which is a pretty substantial deal. If you tell people they're going to go paperless tickets, but then you can't let them get online to then access their paperless tickets once they're down there. Um, yeah, neither the problem. LTE nor the Wi-Fi infrastructure was enough. Right. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, that extended, I know um, the last thing that fans want to hear is from people from the press box whining about the Wi-Fi, but I'm to understand that the situation was the same in, in the stands and in the press box uh, in that none of us were really able to get online very much at all. Yeah. Um, I think, I think I was doing most of the tweeting from the site account and I was in South Carolina. Yeah. Ben thankfully um, was available to take over because Normally, that's what I would be doing in the press box. And I, after about five minutes of trying to get my phone to turn into a hotspot and having that not work, um, essentially just had to give up um, and alert everyone else. Um, to As a, a little bit of our inside knowledge, um, when I realized that I couldn't send Slack messages via my phone or via computer to the rest of the group, I tried to send one to Stephen Streff via text. And even the text wouldn't send. Um, and he <laughs> sent me, te- Stephen sent me a text or, or a, sl- a Slack message yesterday, so Sunday at 1.18 p.m. saying he just got my text message, which was <laughs> during the early stages of the game, which was on Saturday. So from like um, 8 thir- 8.15 p.m. Saturday. So yes. So like, like a, a 16, 17-hour, yeah, um, something along those lines, gap before that text message got to him. Um so that, I mean, that side of it, you know, I, I heard offhand, this isn't from the team, but I heard offhand that people were saying that the internet situation was supposedly considered done the day of the game. Obviously that it wasn't done. Whatever uh, was supposed to be happening wasn't in in place. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, as much as I'm the kind of fan who would say, like, don't bother with your phone unless you absolutely have to during a game. Um, outside of emergencies, people still need their phones. Like if you're going to tell them that it's paperless ticketing, you've got to right. have the internet available so people can get into the stadium. Right. Um, at an, a at of, an occasion, a especially people right. are going to be posting pictures and, and otherwise right. engaging the internet. And that's well, going to put a tax have- on infrastructure. You have to be ready for it. That, that goes to Verizon. That goes to AT&T. That goes to the city, yeah. which I'm sure had some role in the infrastructure. And it goes to the team, of course, because they have an official founding Wi-Fi partner at the stadium and they mm-hmm. had no Wi-Fi. This is like uh, when the Chicago White Sox opened U.S. Cellular Field. Um, the it, U.S. Cellular had no service in that mm-hmm. part of town. And it was it was a bit of a laughing stock. Thankfully, uh, we aren't in in a a stadium named for a wireless company where you can't use wireless, but uh, it's still a problem. Hopefully it's worked out by next Wednesday when the, the, the Red Bulls come to town. Um, And just in case it's not download your tickets, do it now, put it in your phone's wallet or or whatever app. Download, screenshot them, do whatever. But right. The the QR codes will, will read if you screenshot them. Adam, I assume that you did use the mobile ticketing. Yeah. And um, I, did, I was it just, sure. a, it, did it just produce a QR code like anything else, like a movie or anything else that has that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just want to make sure. Cause I, I mean, as a, with the media, you get a physical plastic, right. Credential you have to wear on your neck. So I didn't have to bother with it. Um, which is good because otherwise it just would have been, you know, uh, 40 to 50 media types also lining up, demanding to be allowed in and not being able to get online to get their QR code. So, um, right. Yeah. You, if you download it, it, it's like a electronic boarding pass on your phone. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, it's definitely the kind of thing where, um, 
I think all of us are are advising that if you are going to go to the game, get that open on your phone before you leave and just don't close um, whatever uh, program or app uh, is has it open. Just leave it open. Uh, so Even if you don't, don't leave it open, as long as you download it, it will be on your phone and you, yeah, you will get have it, it. Now, get it somewhere where the, the uh, scanning machine can actually see it uh, because we don't know that the Wi-Fi is going to be fixed. I'm sure that everyone with the team heard a thousand times about the lack of Wi-Fi, and I'm sure that they're all trying to get it fixed, but, you know. Tattoo it on your body. If, if it <laughs> Each comes one. down to it. Um, yeah, everyone. There are 14 uh, games left. Put 14 QR codes on your body. But yeah, the, the, I mean, there, there were other smaller issues. I know people said that the lines for all the concession stands were very long. Yeah. Um, I were, I, say, we got to talk about the clock issue, too. There's one game yeah. clock in the whole stadium, and it's on the board over the supporters. Right. I, I was surprised and yes. um, a little bit shocked that the, the 40 or 400 square foot, however big it is, uh, maybe 4,000 square foot, actually. Video board at the south end was being used exclusively for rotating animated ads. Yes. Um, the, the closest analog to that is in San Jose, and they use it, uh, I don't know if it's ex- exclusively for game stats. I think they have the lineup on it and the score. They have and pertinent time. information on it. Yeah, they, they use it for game information. No disrespect for ads. Bothered, but you're not pertinent information. Um, yeah. Coca-Cola, I'm sorry. We all know about what you make. You don't need to tell us anymore, ever, literally ever again. Um, yeah, Safeway, thanks for giving money Coca-Cola. to help the team do yeah. business, but uh, I don't need to see your ad every time. I How about that? Uh, multinational corporations listening to this, pay for, pay for that ad space to just be a game clock. Can Audi bring the VW clock back? I mean, they can. I mean, they're they're owned by the same people. Some something definitely has to be done because you've got a supporter stand where everybody to see what, how much time is left in the game have to literally turn backwards away from the game. Um, yeah. In my my spot in the press box, there was physically no way for me or anyone else up there to see how much time was left in the game. Uh, we were using monitors back in the media work area um, that were showing the game. We were having to look at them and try and read the clock from afar. Um, yeah, that's a definite, definitely something that has to change. You need people to be able to see in their field of vision the simple matter of time and score. Um, I think that needs to be visible pretty easily. Um, at RFK, it was visible very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that should be addressed, hopefully, by this coming game against the Red Bulls, because at the very least, if you put it on both ends, there's there's something. Um, yeah, longer term, they could do... This is not a, a near-term fix, but there's room above the midfield suites mm-hmm. um, for an LED board that runs you know, 30, 40 yards. Right. Even, um, you can have a giant scoreboard there the way... Uh, Atlanta does, or you could use it for ads the way San Jose does their board in the, a similar location. Or even just um, like the mezzanine board at RFK that had like a clock yeah. and some like really thin ads. Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're fixes to, to most of these problems. Um, we talked about the long lines outside there. There were about a hundred people outside the stadium who were not trying to get in. Most of them, uh, most of them went to bars afterwards to watch the game talking of course about the Barra Brava and district ultras uh, who 
since Valentine's Day ha- have been in uh, a, a a conflict with the team and and to some extent with the the Screaming Eagles. If you're listening to this, you probably know what's already you probably already know what's been happening. But for for whoever doesn't, uh, the team announced that the on Valentine's Day that they were partnering with the Screaming Eagles, who would be the exclusive reseller of single game tickets in the the supporters end. The Screaming Eagles had bought uh, 200 tickets at full season ticket cost and would be able to resell them. Uh, Screaming Eagles are a nonprofit. They partnered with DC Scores, who's also a nonprofit who works with DC United a lot. They do after-school soccer leagues, basically, and, and literacy education through poetry for underserved communities in the district. I volunteered as a coach for DC Scores for half a year before work, you know, and, and child rearing took over my life. Uh, it's a great organization. Uh, Scream Eagles are going to bring DC scores, kids, elementary school kids for free to the games. Um, and in the press release, it was announced that the Scream Eagles would have full control over the game day experience in the supporters end. And that they would be the exclusive resellers of tickets. Bob Robin district ultras, both resold tickets at RFK stadium they felt put out by this. Um, it was not communicated in a good way. Uh, it was clear from the way it was communicated that they would be offended from this and that this was a surprise to them. And they reacted accordingly. There's been conflict ever since. Um, some of that conflict has not been handled well by any side of the disagreement. Um, there wasn't a lot of information, but thanks to Ryan Basic at the Post, there's now, I think, more information from the team's per- perspective than there has been before. Do uh, you guys want to say anything before I keep rambling? Uh, yeah. I, go ahead, Ben. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say former Black and Red United writer, Ryan Basic. Um, people going onwards and upwards, but... Um, <laughs> My viewpoint is uh, on all of this is semi-political, and I'm just gonna uh, go for it, and people can't stop me. Um, there was a there was a moment in February when when this announcement happened that even though things had gone wrong, that people could have come together and fixed it. They could have everyone could have come together and realize that we are this is wrong and we can unite against the team against the people who have all of the money and the power and we can use our voices to fix this and instead people went and fought against each other fought against all of the people who have no money and no power and decided to just fight amongst all of ourselves and that's when we lost all of the ability to make any changes. And so that is where I am sad. That's where we lost our ability to, to force effective change is when we fought against each other, when the people without power were bamboozled by the people with money and with power to fight against each other. 
uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of a lot of the focus needs to be on the team as an organization because ultimately they're going to have to take the first step, probably the second step too, um, to bring the groups back in because it wasn't quite what it should have been on Saturday and, and any DC game, the, the other two home games this year that the uh, Plex and Indianapolis, they weren't what they should have been. Um, and it's because there are two empty seats at the table. Um, if you have this team and you don't have the bar and you don't have the district ultras in the stands being themselves, you don't have the full DC United effect. Um, people that came to this first game didn't really get a 100% authentic DC United experience. Even if they ate pupusas and even with dealing, you know, dealing with uh, something at the stadium wasn't quite working as it should, um, which is a very RFK thing to have happen. (laughs) Um, Nonetheless, there's still something missing. And those two groups are what was missing. Um, And ultimately, I mean, they've made, they're what they want. It's well known what they, what they want. Um, and the team has to come to the table and find, find some sort of common ground because the, it's not like the fans have refused to talk to anyone. The, the fans have been very talkative all the time. Um, so everyone knows what those groups want. Um, and the team has to start responding. And it seems like, they're starting to respond now, which is kind of disappointing because they could have responded before we got to this point where the stadium opened and those fans were outside rather than inside. Um, But maybe the, you know, having to actually go through a game without those groups in the stands, maybe that finally shook something loose. Um, You know, as Adam talked about on, um, uh, Kojo Namdi's show earlier today, there was a phone call uh, where Jason Levian said to someone who said they were speaking for the bra- the Barra that he said, let's talk. Um, so maybe it's something as simple as that, where that information hasn't gotten to ownership and maybe ownership is um, going to then, you know, after having a chat with, with the supporters groups, come back to the team and say, like, we got to find a way to fix this. Like, we know that the team's owners aren't doing day-to-day ops. We know that they are not saying, oh, the Papusa stand should be behind section 116, not 118, because, you know, 118 has its own things. They're not that day-to-day involved. They can't be. Um, and so maybe the folks that have that day-to-day responsibility will start to hear from both the supporters and from the people at the very top of the organization chart um, about getting it fixed because it, it looks bad and it is bad. Um, it's not, it's not great being at a game and not seeing the bar and not seeing the ultras. Um, and I don't have solutions. If I had solutions, I'd have already proposed them. Um, but somewhere in there, um, people need to sit down. I know there's not really an independent supporters council anymore. Um, that's a position that needs to be filled on the team side and, the supporters groups all need to be willing to sit down uh, as equals. And, you know, that's going to take some work because you've got trust to rebuild. You can't have a supporters council functioning like it does before, unless everyone involved trusts each other other, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of trust going around in any direction. Um, And that, that takes time. 
Um, there's not a, a silver bullet, just like most soccer problems. There's not a silver bullet to this one either. Um, as much as you might have an instant fix of most of it by agreeing to the, letting the um, the borrow and the ultras have the same uh, ticket terms, you're still going to have immense amount of resentment um, from those groups towards the team and, and mistrust. So right. that's um, even assuming the ticket, that kind of ticket quick fix is possible. Um, right. From all reports, it sounds like it took some, uh, maybe not arm twisting, but some finagling by the team to get Ticketmaster to allow even those 200 tickets to be resold. And there may have been conditions on that that limited the Screaming Eagles ability to offer them at the lowest price possible. Right. Um, that That's half speculation, half rumor, and maybe a sprinkling of reporting on top. But uh, not all the information is out on this. So we're, we're speaking from, you know, not a position of, of insider knowledge by any means. Um, from what I've seen, it, everyone, everyone has been wrong. Every single group, a lot of individuals, uh, the team all three supporters groups uh, have been wrong at various points in this conflict. And everyone needs to recognize that that the, the team's communication on this issue was poor. Their decision was beyond questionable. Um, the Scream Eagles, similarly, their communication about this has been very poor. They've been, they've been aloof, I think. And in a way that has alienated a lot of people, people who might have been more understanding um, reactions, especially from individuals associated with the Barra and, and the ultras have been uh, hyperbolic and vitriolic and personally attacking people, which is not okay. A lot of, a lot of people in those groups have been um, calm and measured and yes. very much and, like purpose driven. Um, members but, of, of all three groups have organized sit downs with each other and try to bring the groups together, um, which hasn't worked. Some groups have boycotted those meetings because they want, presumably they want everything fixed or nothing fixed, which isn't necessarily the most productive position. Which is exactly what the people in power want. They want everybody fighting amongst themselves. At this point, uh, for progress to happen, everyone has to prioritize progress and, and hopefully that means the groups work together and it hopefully means the team comes to the table and we, the next time we're at Audi field, we have the driving rhythm throughout the games. Don't believe anyone who says that the stadium was a churchyard on, on Saturday when it got loud, it was really loud. This building yeah. will hold noise. Yeah, we got <laughs> flashes of what it's going to be like when everyone is in the supporter section and everyone is really loud. When people really figure that out, um, you know, it's funny. We kind of missed one thing that I think we could all agree didn't work. Um, the the pregame hype man. The hype um, man. Oh, my God. He, he tried I'm glad best. I didn't experience yeah. him. He tried his best, but he was doomed from the start. It's just not a thing that uh, there isn't a human being on earth that could make that work. Um, when I, when I first heard him, I was in the concourse and I thought it was going to be Jason cover your ears. I thought it was going to be like Nats park where they have hosts who before the game will, will talk to people and hold silly contests and just try to engage the audience and maybe drop a, a sponsorship name or two. Um, 
and at Nats Park, they do it between innings, too, because that's how baseball works. Obviously, that's not what soccer is. So I thought it was going to be, you know, pregame giveaways and shouting out to the DJ who they were going to throw it back to. And then he was just walking around the perimeter of the field and he wasn't stopping. Yeah. And, um, and he was loud. Yeah, um, it was the speaker really loud. seemed a little extra loud for that. Um, but yeah, like the reason I bring the hype man up um, and it, why it didn't work is that it was inorganic. It was forced. It was something that you would see Adam very appropriately. And we didn't even rehearse this uh, brings up Nats Park. And it's the kind of thing you see at baseball or at hockey or NBA or an NFL game. You see this stuff that's forced. Um, and one of the great things about soccer is that it's not it, at least at the venues that are any good, it's not forced. Um, and the loudest the stadium got outside of goal cheers was Wayne Rooney, uh, throwing his arms up once people went crazy and it got extremely loud very quickly. Um, and it was an organic, spontaneous thing. Um, and it can be like that all the time, but there obviously were a long way from it being like that all the time. Yeah. Uh, going back, don't believe anyone who says it was quiet the whole game, but the absence of the bar and the ultras was conspicuous. Um, not in the big moments In the big moments, it was every bit as loud and raucous as it ever is. But in between during the, the, the ebbs were a little deeper um, than they were. And, and the ultras bring it really hard. The bar bring it really hard. Um, but there are, there are still ebbs and flows in, in their volume. And when the team is really buzzing, the crowd gets really buzzing and, and they help promote that. And they, they keep the drums going, I think more incessantly. That's the wrong word, more persistently, more drivingly uh, than the scream Eagles do. And that's okay. There are different aspects to supporter culture and they're all valid. And um, we need all of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, as corny as it sounds like, the team name is United, and right now, as a as a whole organism, it's not. Um, and it, you felt it; you couldn't help but feel it. Um, everyone in the press box, even people who don't know the you know people that are doing their one, probably their one and only trip to the stadium to cover Rooney or to cover the stadium's opening at all, um, they could tell that something wasn't quite right from there. Like, oh, I was at RFK that when Beckham came, um, and things were different. Um, and it's the same scenario. Um, everyone knew. And until those groups are back in the stadium, back doing what they do, uh, things aren't going to be quite right. We're not going to know what this stadium really can be um, until, I mean, one, until some of the construction side stuff is actually finished. But two, um, until the team's, you know, the all of the diehard supporters are actually in the building as much as they can be. Um and that's got to be fixed. I mean, until the team is a at the table and b there with solutions, not just saying like, well, what do you guys want to do? Um, because that's not going to work. Um, right. It's got to be. Said, everyone has to be proactive. No one can sit back and say, tell me your best offer. That's right. not how this gets solved by anybody, supporters groups or the team. Nobody can come in and say, what's your plan? Everyone has to come in and have ideas of what they want and also be flexible and, you know, be willing to listen and sit down and want to come to a solution 
that's how this gets fixed. Like Jason and, said, go ahead. And if the supporters want to have their most power, they need to all unite and all get together with each other and figure out each other and then unite against the the powers that be if they want to have the most uh, the most power for the supporters. I think uniting together, yes, but coming into it with the assumption it will be an adversarial negotiation, keep an open mind. It might turn into that. Hopefully it doesn't. Be ready but, for yes. it, but don't count yes. on that. Don't assume you're negotiating against the team. You're negotiating with the team. Oh, for sure. Uh, that's how are... good negotiations work. Yeah, and people on that side of it, just within the supporters groups, people are going to have to put down some of their anger. And and I'm not saying that they don't have reasons to be angry, um, but you've got to put it to the side when you actually talk to the other groups. Um, when the Barra and Ultras, if, if you know, hopefully one day they will, uh, hopefully it's soon. Um, when they get together to talk to the Screaming Eagles, it can't be contentious right away. It has to be based on a hope that the other side wants to help you out. Um, and, and everyone involved is going to have to say, you know, things have gotten hot. Things have gotten emotional. Um, if we dial it down a little bit, maybe we can actually do something constructive today because otherwise I imagine that such a meeting would devolve into just being angry once again. Um, and that's not going to fix anything. It's just gonna make it worse. So, um, it can't just be, I mean, I think the most important thing is the team coming to the table in a way that they haven't yet. But I also think that when supporters talk amongst each other, they have to be willing to set down some of what's been driving them, which is a lot, in a lot of cases has been anger. Um, and I'm not saying there's not a place for it, but you've got to set it down briefly to get through um, to the other side that you're not necessarily um, always out to get each other and always having a problem. Um, and I know for some supporters, they never had a problem in the first place and they just feel betrayed. Um, but the, you know, that's a second line problem. The first thing you've got to do is get back together and get on speaking terms. And then you can start to work through this, you know, the feeling that um, you've been boxed out or, or however people want to put it. Um, but first things first, you've got to put, you've got to make enough progress that you can actually start agreeing on a regular basis to speak, uh, and not yell. Um, and once we start hearing about that, we, we might start to see some forward progress, but you know, we've also had five months where that could have been worked on and it hasn't been done yet. Hopefully this is a, uh, you know, you get an extension right at the deadline for that paper at the end of the semester and, I, I know I'm speaking from a, a privileged position making a college analogy, but hopefully that's what this is like. And they, they end up turning it in, turning it, turning in an A paper, coming together, getting it done uh, because everyone needs to be there. Um, Saturday was, I think Paul Tenorio used the word marred uh, by, by this conflict. And it was, it it was, you know, a classic, a thing can be two things, right? Where the stadium opening was a beautiful, wonderful event. So long in coming, such an emotional release, especially when uh, the game went the way it did, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But it wasn't as perfect as it could or should have been. And 
hopefully it will will get there and everyone will realize that that's the goal that everyone else wants too and we will we will get there on that note please stick around we will be right back to talk about the actual game on the field uh the dc united one hooray this is filibuster the black and red united podcast hey ben um you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment would you you can tell uh, me depends i mean well i should ask you i mean is are goats hostile uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. A lot of focus has been on the building, inside and outside, but there was a soccer game on the field at Buzzard Point this weekend. It was a good soccer game. If you're a DC United fan, they won three to one over the Vancouver Whitecaps uh, and and played some pretty good soccer on the way. It was actually really fun to watch. Uh, let's let's start at the beginning. Yamil Assad goes down in. Yamil Assad goes down as the first goal scorer in Audi Point history. With um, did you say Audi that uh, Assad Assad starts with the ABCs or the Do Re Mi's? I love the sound of music uh, as much as any father of a four year old who loves musical theater, Ben. But I'm not going to follow you down that hole. <laughs> I, I sing that song literally every single day because my Just- daughter. Loves that song. I'm not going to do it on the show. Just you wait. Not happening. Okay. Just you wait. I would. Are you, I are you getting getting point Hamilton out now? No. Can Can we talk about the fact that Adam said Audi Point? <laughs> <laughs> Jason's not going to throw away his shot. This is what happens when people try to talk over me. I I combine different names for the same place. Yeah, Audi Point. Odd. Audi field, buzzard field, Audi point history. Uh, the first goal, and it was a golazo. Uh, first time curler from the top of the D into the upper 90. Dipping shot, just unsavable shot. Uh, absolutely beautiful. Does a shark thing afterwards as his celebration. I don't know what that was about, but I hope we find out. And maybe I learned the Spanish word for shark because that will be his nickname. Who knows? Um 
Jason, what was what was your view from the press box? Because that was actually that end of the field where you were. So it was it, it kind of came out of nothing from yeah. the far end of the field. It was a, a broken play, and he just found himself running onto a ball with acres of space. Well, I mean, I think the main thing that was, nothing had really happened. Uh, it hadn't been an eventful game, um, and it all comes from. You know, Neil Fisher tries to fire in a cross, gets blocked. Um, it falls to Zoltan Stieber, um, who is just barely uh, ahead of, I want to say, actually, Alfonso Davies might have been the closest player. Um, and it, it's the simplest, you know, it's the simplest uh, thing for Assad to get on the ball. He he actually ends up escaping uh, Kai Kamara, of all people. Um and from there, I mean, as soon as the ball's rolling to him, he knew what he was going to do. And I think that's maybe the, the biggest thing for me is that he was decisive. Um, we've seen United in the past when they don't play very well going forward. A lot of it is they get caught in their own head. And in this moment, and in really in a lot of the game, they were decisive. They knew before they got the ball what they were going to do, and then they went through with it. Um, there was no second guessing. There was no... Um, Maybe I should shoot. Maybe I shouldn't. No, he Assad was like, I'm going to goal. I'm, you know, 24 yards out. I'm going to goal. And he had the confidence in himself to, to bury it. Um, it was definitely a surprise uh, because, you know, the game up to that point had been pretty uneventful. It had been um, kind of a little frustrating to see United not necessarily dominating as much as I wanted them to, um, given that Vancouver has not been good at all defensively. Um but maybe sometimes you need that moment. You know, it's a, it was a big occasion and that's something that a lot of this team isn't really used to. Um, a lot of the guys on this team haven't played a big game for DC United period. Um, a lot of the guys on the team that have their last big game was the 2016 playoff game against Montreal. Um, and so that really big occasion where all the eyes and the, and the pressure are on, maybe that weight on the group a little bit. Um, and it, sometimes it takes a special play to jar the rest of the group out of that. And Assad certainly hasn't seemed scared. He's also scored the first goal for Atlanta United um, in uh, last season. So um, he's got that big moment kind of uh, courage. And, you know, it's a special goal. It's not it's I think it's nice that the first goal at the stadium wasn't like a trash goal or some rebound or something dumb. It was a really, really good goal for any occasion. It just happened to be a big occasion. It was a big goal for that time. I agree. Hard agree. Uh, And I'm I'm glad it came in the opener too. And in the first half of the opener, we didn't go into halftime kind of worried about it because that would have been uh, a a drain on the the collective psyche uh, of that crowd too. Um, So thank you. Yamil Assad for, for doing that for us. We didn't have a Danny Dicchio situation where weeks and weeks later, we're all throwing seat cushions onto the, the field at BMO field. Um, it'd be weird if we were doing that because we're not Toronto fans. I think we're all Wayne Rooney fans, at least for now. Uh, Waza made his debut, came in just before the hour mark, 58th minute or so. Uh, and, uh, had himself a really good half hour of soccer. He played very simply um, combined incredibly well with his teammates and, and just kind of took the game over without doing a whole lot of anything spectacular, just yeah. simple play that made everyone around him better. 
it was it was really fun to watch. Yeah, you could tell that his passing was something that was that's that DC United hasn't had in years, decades, maybe ever. Uh, we've never had someone of his quality, and he could just play the easy pass and just not worry about it. And while he was doing so, he was drawing in three or four of Vancouver's bad defenders to pay attention to him instead of paying attention to the rest of the team. And they're not going to be able to, they probably won't be able to slice through all defenses that easily, but Rooney was definitely able to make Paul Ariola and Yamil Assad and Lucho Acosta and Zoltan Stieber all look m- even more threatening than they have all of this season. And he was able to do it just holding up the ball and just laying it off to them. And so once he gets more fitness available, once he gets more uh, gels with his team more, it's it's going to be even better. It's going to be even more exciting and so i don't want to overstate what he did in this game but i'm gonna and just say that uh, <laughs> gonna bust adam's uh outline and just say that it was really great to see and i think he showed it, it it's not just a marketing move he's going to be able to provide legitimate significant soccer talent to this team Right. He provides a much different look than Darren Maddox. Um, And I'll admit, I was not totally happy to see him come in for Maddox initially because Maddox has been good enough. I thought he. I I was wrong on that, too, on the field. And I was I was wrong. Um, Wayne Rooney came in and changed the game for the better. Um, watching the the condensed match before we recorded this, the game was starting to get, to get away from United a little bit in the second half. Vancouver was getting forward more. They were getting more chances uh, other than set pieces, which we'll talk about a little later, I think. Uh, and Rooney came on and the team suddenly had a lot more of the ball again, like they had in the first half. And we've seen... Assad and Acosta interchange like this. We've seen Acosta and Stieber interchange like this. We, we've seen Ariola and Stieber interchange. We haven't seen all four of those guys interchange with the forward because that's not Darren Maddox's game. That's Wayne Rooney's game. We had five guys who are capable of just making those short passes and runs and understanding where the others are going to go. And they, they see the game in a similar way. And it created two really good goals to watch Jason where they they we we talked about uh overloading one side last week Wayne Rooney overloaded the left side of the field kind of by himself to set up Areola for that second goal yeah and and kind of to go away from something Ben said a little bit DC did used to score goals like this um it just happened a long long time ago um they used to have this ability to pass their way through an opponent and you know that that second goal the the fact that Rooney had the wisdom to just play a quick one-time pass it sounds like it's not a big deal but he ended up drawing four people uh towards him so he plays that pass and now Assad has a bunch of space and now um if you hit pause on the replay you can see Ariola's running away from Alfonso Davies again who now that I'm seeing these goals over again, really had some struggles defensively. Um, But he's running into a gap where there's like 30 yards between Marcel de Jong and the rest of the defense. 
and there's no one from defensive midfield. They are all sucked in towards Rooney. And um, the, you know, the pass, the ball comes across to Schieber, who, to his credit, um, and, and you know, I think this might be very beneficial for him because I think this is how he wants to play. And United hasn't always had the, the possibility of playing this way. Um, but his wisdom of just giving that little cushion pass um, rather than trying to take a first touch to get around De Jong and then try and find a man, he just cushioned the ball. Um, De Jong couldn't do anything about it, and Ariola's running in by himself. Um, and it's the kind of thing that, you know, Vancouver looks kind of helpless on that play. As soon as they all get um, drawn in towards Rooney, they were completely lost. And that's the kind of thing that Rooney's going to provide. It's not just that smart decision to make the one-time pass rather than a two-touch pass. Um, it's not just the technique to make sure to play. Because he, he didn't just play a one-time pass. He put it exactly where Humil Assad needed the ball. Um, mm-hmm. But also that ability to draw attention. Um, defenders aren't going to be able to help themselves from overloading Wayne Rooney um, because he's Wayne Rooney. It's it's the same thing that Giovinco sees. It's the same thing that um, Zlatan sees in L.A. People know, I mean, defenders know who these guys are. They've watched them play. They've woken up early and watched them play on the weekend um, on their cable package. And so they can't help it. It's a, It's, you know, even if they know somewhere in their head, they're like, oh, I can't overcommit here. They can't help but overcommit because they're thinking it's Wayne Rooney. Like he's dangerous with the ball. I need to do something about it. Um, and that ability to draw people in and a willing, his willingness to not to do that, but then not try and be the star, um, was a big deal. Like Rooney didn't go out there trying to single-handedly change the game. And that's why he single-handedly changed the game. Um, it was that willingness to get the ball. I mean, he wasn't spending five seconds, six seconds on the ball. It was one touch passing over and over again. Um, and that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of playing simple soccer is that um, you can be unstoppable if you're just taking those one touch passes and, and you can consistently uh, connect on them. Um, and, and not just one touch passing, but the right one touch pass at the right moment with the, to the right spot of the field. Um, it's so incredibly that- difficult to make to, to <sighs> make soccer look as simple as it did. Yeah, um, and like and Johan Cruyff is- has a famous quote about soccer is the simplest game in the world, but playing soccer simply is the hardest thing in the world. Something like that, and right. and Rooney helped the team make it look very simple. Yeah, and it's it's down to you know mentally he's able to figure out the game faster than pretty much everyone else on the other team, um, and that that combined with that technical ability to put these deceptively difficult passes. I mean, hitting a one-time pass exactly where it needs to be is not easy. I mean, putting it towards your man where it's a completed pass for Opta's purposes, that's easy enough. But doing it, getting it exactly in, you know, in a guy's stride on the foot he wants to strike the ball with um, just out of reach of the defender, all of that stuff, it's a, the window gets very, very small, very quickly. And he's able to do it with a, you know, pretty casual ease. Um, it really didn't look uh, too difficult for him. Um, so I think that's going to open up a ton for the guys around him. Um, I think it has the potential to be pretty special, but you know, we do have to keep in mind that Vancouver is 
one of the worst defensive teams in the entire league. Um, and their historic, we talked about this last week on the show, the number of times they've traveled this far East and gotten blown out. Uh, I think this is the fourth time this year that they've had, uh, uh, three or more goals scored on them when they've come this far, uh, to the East. Um, they were in a playoff spot coming into this game, but I don't think they would be anything better than 10th or 11th in the East. If they had spent, you know, if they were, um, stationed in Rochester, New York or whatever, and they were an Eastern conference team, um, because they're bad, uh, they're, they're a bad team and DC beat up on them. Um, which well, is- that's good for DC because it gets them the uh, confidence they need to hopefully kick off this, uh, homestand. Yeah. I mean, you do, you know, every good team in the league pummels the bad teams from time to time. And if DC is going to catch up, they're going to have to show that level of ability. They're going to have to put in a near supporter shield level points per game pace from here on out. Um, So you want to see them doing what an Atlanta United would do to Vancouver. Um, And they did it. Um, Maybe not for the first half um, because outside the goal, it was really kind of, you know, a lone kind of thunderbolt. Um, but when Rooney came in, they really showed the potential for what they can be, especially because Rooney's only had a few training sessions with those guys and he already knows what they're going to do to this level. So you can only imagine what he, when he's gotten those reps with his teammates or really when they've had the reps with him. Right. You know, know, because there, there is that issue of, you know, we've seen players from the premier league have to catch up, um, or not catch up, but actually like simplify their game. Uh, from a mental aspect, because their teammates might not know what they want to do. Um, and Rooney didn't seem to have to make that adjustment. He he simplified his game in a way that was very good rather than a way that w- you felt like he was dumbing it down. Um, and that's really important because if, if United can develop, if this is a like the entry level uh, understanding that their attack can develop and it's going to improve from here, um, this team is going to score a ton of goals because it, the midfield four underneath Rooney, they're all capable of scoring uh, quite a few goals. Um, maybe none of them are going to be golden boot contenders, but you might have several players with seven, eight goals. Um, and if you've got a whole midfield full of guys with that kind of, I mean, Assad already has eight goals. Um, so if you've got that kind of goal total floating around, um, Rooney, it might be a situation where he might get, you know, six or seven goals, but he might have like 12, 13 assists if he plays like the way he did in Vancouver or against Vancouver, I should say. Right. The, the Rooney's before the season, Ben Olsen said that this is a team that's going to have to score goals by committee. Rooney's the kind of forward that can actually facilitate that. And having Darren Maddox uh, as a spot starter, a, a guy who's also scored eight goals this year through half a season um, and, and has pace for days having him as a, a sometime starter starter or a, a change of pace sub, it's a pretty good quiver to have a pretty good arrow yeah. to have in the quiver. So um, I, he, I think, he that- has, I think Maddox has to keep getting minutes, whether that's uh, in the next couple weeks as a starter, uh, either in rotation with Rooney or to allow Rooney to come in in the second half. I mean, there's going to be plenty of rotation but, due to yeah. games. Uh, let's talk about uh, defense because that that hmm. e- even though Vancouver sign somebody one we're done <laughs> <laughs> yeah sign somebody uh, sign a few somebodies even though Vancouver only scored one goal and even though that goal was uh, not a big chance it was Alfonso Davies doing 
not even typical Alfonso Davies things, but just embarrassing uh, a few DC United defenders and then letting off a, a rocket that he has no business unleashing with his left foot. Um, Vancouver did have a few other opportunities, not from open play, but from set pieces. They had, if you look at the expected goals map for this, they have three big empty circles in the six yard box. Uh, big circles mean big chances, a, a higher expected goals uh, value for those shots. And they were all three of them, I think headers off of set pieces, two corners yep. and and one free kick. And United's defenders have to do a better job of they, they did well enough to disrupt them so that they were not totally free headers. One of them hit the bar. Two of them went wide, um, but like wide by inches. Yeah. And, and actually, a couple of them were wide. A couple of them were wide open and should have been converted. Um, and, and United got lucky, I think, to to go in up at the half and, and not to give up more than a goal in this game. They got to do better on defense. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, go ahead, Jason. Uh, um, I, I mean, it kind of gets summed up by, I, I think the second one of the three chances we're talking about is uh, Daniil Henry heading wide um, just after halftime or just after the second half started. Um, on that play, the person trying to challenge him in the air for the ball ends up being Paul Ariola, but he wasn't initially marking um Henry, who is a giant center back, and Ariola has no place marking him. Um, it was just Ariola realizing that no one else was going to be there because uh, Henry got free um, and had a free run at the ball, and he just sort of threw himself at you know threw himself forward, and it's like I I know someone has to put in a challenge. I'm going to try my best. Um, I don't think it made any difference um, because Henry just glanced the ball wide without. Um, I don't think there was any contact uh, to throw him off. Um, but yeah, that shouldn't be happening. Paul Ariola shouldn't be trying to um, break up a what six three six four center backs attempted header um, because it's not even that he was marking him; it's that he's trying to scramble to save the day, um, mm-hmm. which is even worse. Um, that's not how this should go. Uh, and on another night, the uh, Whitecaps probably break up the party. Uh, quite frankly, because of those set piece chances. Um, some of that is just the the pure fact that United doesn't have a big team. Um, when you think of that midfield four we talked about, those guys aren't tall. Yamil Assad is the biggest of that group, um, and he's not a big guy. Um, Rooney's not a particularly big guy um, when he's starting up front. Um, so you really come down to Durkin and two center backs, and that's it for guys that are six one and taller. Um, so against Vancouver, you know, a team that is making no bones about the fact that they want to play the ball in the air and win headers and set pieces and all that, it's going to be a problem. Um, and they've got to find a way to disrupt those set pieces. They're not going to win that many headers in those situations, so they have to find a way to make sure there's not a header to win. And, you know, on this night, they didn't do a very good job and they kind of got away with it. Yeah. And I think that um, the fullbacks right now aren't nearly as good as the fullbacks have been previously in the air. Sean Franklin was way better than any of the current fullbacks in the air. Uh, Nick DeLeon is better than each of the current fullbacks in the air. Um, 
I think Perry Kitchen, for example, is better than Chris Durkin in the air right now. Chris Durkin is great going forward. He sprays way better passes than Perry Kitchen ever could. And he's a far better upgrade on that uh, on that level. But I don't think he's as good in the air right now as Perry Kitchen was. And when you don't have fullbacks who are good in the air either, that's a more noticeable deficit than it might be otherwise. And so... Like Jason said, this team is uh, at a deficit for people in the air beyond the two center backs. And until they sign a fullback or two or three, probably not three, but um, until they sign a fullback or two and and shore up other ways, it's, it's going to be a problem. Man, you're mentioning Durkin and Kitchen. Reminded me, uh, I went to the team's opening practice as press in 2013 and that was the one where Perry Kitchen showed up, just ripped like a superhero. He <laughs> yeah. he focused that that 2012-2013 winter on getting stronger, and it showed. That was the day he he busted out over a hundred push-ups in one set. Um, and and if Chris Durkin, n- not to get swole like Kitchen was, but just like takes a step in that direction, that could be huge for his game because he's not a short guy. He's no. he's tall. He's just got to get stronger to compete. In, right. in those physical battles. Uh, and and that would be that would be also, a, a nice a nice tool for him to, to develop. I, I, uh, I don't want to get too into the fullbacks, but just like please sign someone to replace Odell Fisher. <laughs> who who did a good job. He had a really good play on Alfonso Davies, and actually that that brings me to the next point. And he got uh, beat one, a couple of times. Getting beat. There's no shame in getting beat by Alfonso Davies. He fought back a couple of times, though. It wasn't even was Alfonso Davies. It was also Rania. Yeah. The team did generally do a good job of closing down Vancouver and transition. We talked last week on the show about how they want to play Route 1. They want to get you sucked up and hit you over the top. Literally over the top. Not not a modern on-the-ground counterattack. They want to just not boot the ball, but but at least you know send it over the top for for Davies and and Kamara to run onto, and the chances for that to happen. DC United did a really good job of breaking it up at both ends. They fouled Davies, they grabbed him, they got in his way. Uh, nothing dirty, nothing untoward, but they they made sure that he was not going to have a free run, and that was the correct decision. That was that was Ben Olsen as a player, the kind of thing he would do. The other thing the team did was in the midfield, when the ball turned over, they cut down the passing lanes and and made it harder for Vancouver's midfielders to pick their heads up and and send the ball wide. Or when they did get the ball into an advanced position, Chris Durkin was there trying to jump the passing lane and breaking plays up. Um, I, I thought the transition defense was a really good improvement against a team that really wants to play in transition. It was clear that United had focused on that aspect of the game and, and it worked. Um, that's generally not where Vancouver's chances came from. And, and that's a good thing. Still got to work on the set piece thing, but the, the focus of the team was clear on this one and, and it worked. Anything else you guys want to talk about from, from this game? We've reached the end of my hastily thrown together outline. <laughs> No, it was, it, it was, it was, I mean, Jason probably has other things, but just for me, uh, it was good to see a team having fun. Yeah. It was clear they were having fun too. Yeah. I mean, 
that part of it is definitely an improvement uh, because I think they've been waiting for that opportunity to let loose a little bit because on the road, you don't really get those opportunities. And all of a sudden at home, um, the that second goal really broke Vancouver. And I think everybody on both teams knew it. And from there, you really got to see some pretty stylish soccer. And, and every player on every team on the planet would rather be playing more stylish soccer than their team currently plays. Um, the guys for Vancouver certainly would like, I, I assume, would like to be playing the sort of one-touch pass-and-move um, soccer with a little bit of extra um, dribbling flavor uh, with that Lutra threw in a couple. He didn't have too many chances to maybe uh, embarrass somebody like he likes to, but he'll get those times, um, especially now that, you know, if, if you've got people uh, double-teaming Rooney, you're going to end up with Lucho looking at someone one-on-one in a space that that guy does not want to be one-on-one with Lucho. And that means they're probably going to get like a back heel nutmeg that um, uh, destroys their life. Um, and that's kind of, that's the fun side of this uh, is watching this. Um, I'd also like to shout out uh, David Osted for having uh, a successful dribble in this game. Yes. Um, which he, I think he, he owned up Pat like Kamara in the season. Yeah, I, I think he's up to four, uh, <laughs> but this was the first MLS game uh, against North Carolina in the Open Cup. He did it twice. Um which was kind of why, because you think of Osted and he's like the goalkeeper that doesn't do that. And you'd think Steve Clark is the goalkeeper that, that decides to go dribble people. Um, but it's actually been the opposite. Osted is the guy with that wicked um, fake long ball move that, that keeps selling um, strikers out. Um, so that, that part of it was really nice. But I think overall, United mostly did what they intended to do. They leveraged their advantage in midfield. Um, that was... I think that was the main reason they succeeded in that transition defense that, that Adam talked about is just they made that extra man that they have really come to bear because Felipe and Efrain Juarez aren't as athletic as Paul Ariola. And being when you're one going three V two and then there's one guy who is just way faster than the than your two, um, you're in trouble. And I think United made good use of that advantage. They didn't just say, well, it's an advantage, so it'll work itself out. They really made sure to leverage it as much as they could. Um, And in the end, you know, as much as we're, you know, I I said earlier that DC kind of got away with uh, some slack marking on those um, set piece plays, Vancouver's shots outside of that were really not high percentage shots. I mean, Kai Kamara has one of the shots that they attempt. One of their shots on goal is actually from about 55 yards out. Um, That one's not going to get you anything. Um, They didn't really have very many good looks from open play. And the set piece thing is a concern, but generally speaking, if you can restrict a game, a team to only set piece chances, you've probably already boosted your chances of winning the game pretty high. Um, and I think they did that. Now, is it applicable? I don't know, because the East doesn't really have a Vancouver analog. There's no one in the East that wants to play soccer like Vancouver wants to play soccer. Um, so that side of it might be a little iffy, but um, hopefully we see the attacking side of, of what we saw. Um, we saw we, If they're building on that, the teams that want a high press in the East – um, when Rooney gets the ball, I think he's going to be able to break that pressure, that defensive pressure. 
And if he's getting the ball and breaking defensive pressure, we're going to see even more space than Vancouver gave up at the end of this game for the other guys on the team to do something. So um, that's a pretty promising development, I think, um, in the East, where I th- I think there's real a real potential for that sixth spot in the playoffs to be up for grabs. DC still got to be pretty close to flawless. Um, I'm not under Toronto has made it. So I'm so available for being so bad. Toronto is leaving it open. Um, Orlando only just broke their infinite losing streak. Chicago is Chicago. Philly is Philly. Montreal is now actually holding that spot. And Montreal, uh, for a long time looked like maybe the worst team in the league. So um, the door is open um, and it's, it's going to be extraordinarily challenging for DC, but this isn't a lost cause. This isn't a, well, it'll be fun to have these home games and we'll win a few and it'll be nice. Um, There are the, the competition is open um, and these home games have meaning. Um, and if, if United can get something out of their trip to Atlanta and if they can beat the Red Bulls, then all of a sudden, you know, they're back in it. Um, it won't it doesn't take much for them to catch up to Orlando on 22 or Chicago on 23. And they've still got those a tremendous number of games in hand and they have the ability to rotate. Um, this isn't a team that goes 11 deep and will will struggle once the schedule gets too compressed. They've got the ability to bring Maddox in Maddox is going to get plenty of starts like uh, Ben alluded to earlier. Um, we've got all these rumors of, you know, Dave Casper's outright saying that more moves are, are in the works. Um, maybe not. Completed, but yeah. I, I assume there's going to be multiple fullbacks um, and that will improve things quite a bit. They'll all of a sudden be the kind of team that doesn't give up those gut punch goals. Um, so yeah, it's it's nice to come to this point this this season, and you know, yes, it's it's difficult. It's going to be very difficult to get in the playoffs. But a team that has played three home games out of fifteen has a minus four goal difference. Um, that's a real sign that they can actually make some things happen. They just have to be a little bit better, um, and we saw them get a little bit better against Vancouver. So. Um, I think we're on the right path to at least have a thrilling run into the end of the season, if nothing else, which, um, you know, it's been a while. Um, you know, 2016 feels like it was uh, 2006 in terms of a uh, time pass. So um, hopefully we're, we're looking at the start of something and not just one nice night. And it's true on a macro level too. Um, this is the beginning. This isn't the end. Uh, it, it's, been a long time coming and in another way the journey's just begun and other cliches uh that's it for us for this show uh we will be back hopefully later in the week to preview the game in atlanta that's right you're getting extra filibuster maybe this week maybe we hope we'll see um in any event thank you for joining us find us online uh patreon.com slash filibuster if you want to support us financially uh and we might get give patreon patrons early access to that episode so if you want that sign up sign up for the patreon if you want to get that whatever bonus episode we're doing this week a little bit early are you giving are you giving legal advice by uh offering these uh, hedge words uh no but i am giving podcast advice okay 
but I'm legally not allowed to say legal advice, but I'm going to say pecleval advice. That sounds like a medical condition. Don't say that. I'm neither, I'm neither a lawyer nor a doctor. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website, plus our personal accounts, which are pretty easy to find. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, the Internet Archive, anywhere else podcasts are found. We should be there. If we're not, let us know. Uh, and please tell a friend about the show, whether it's uh, at the bar watching DC United take on Atlanta, also United, uh, or, or it's next week at Audi Field in the stadium. Tell a friend about the podcast. We really appreciate it when you do that. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you even sooner than usual. Hopefully, probably, maybe. Say goodbye, Jason. Uh, there was a game at the soccer stadium. It was real. Our soccer soccer stadium. Yeah. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. It was real. It was there. We did it. And I'm feeling.